Hello, welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. How's it going? I'm going to continue talking about some church history today. I'm doing some midweeks based on Mark Knoll's book, Turning Points in Christian History. And I, I read this book a long time ago, found it very, very, very helpful, just looking at the history of the church through important events that kind of changed the path of church history. And so last time I talked about the apostolic age, those first few decades when the apostles were alive and doing their work. And the big question of the church was, how does the gospel um, move into the Gentile world? And how does that gospel um, inform and control the relationships between the Jews and the Gentiles and summoning them together to be one new humanity in Jesus Christ? And that was the big, uh, the big question but also the question of like, how is the outside culture, the unbelieving culture relating to the church as well as to its Jewish past? So these are the things that the church was dealing with. So I want to begin to talk about the next phase of church history. I'm not going to deal with the whole thing in this one midweek, but to begin to talk about the next phase. And so the next phase really is, um, the way I'm going to be looking at it, is a, is a time span of about 250 years from 70 AD when the temple is destroyed until uh, the reign of Constantine at about the year 320, somewhere around there, 325. And um, there's this long, long, long span of church history that is characterized by the church as a predominantly Gentile community or organization or thing spread out throughout the Roman Empire, um, coming to terms with the fact that it's been, um, it's having to come into its own right. So the with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, the church really is cut off from its Jewish roots in a significant way. Not totally, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it the that kind of spiritual gravity that Jerusalem had for the church was really rocked. And so other places began to be epicenters of the Christian faith, whether it might have been Antioch, it might have been Alexandria, and predominantly more and more so Rome over time. We'll talk about that more next time. But um, so there's the, the the church is kind of really getting shoved out to of the nest and it's learning to fly all all on its own. Again, the church will never really separate completely from its Jewish roots, not that it even wants to. The faith of the book of Romans is that we are going to see a major importing of the Jewish people into the church, and that's going to be a sign that Jesus' return is very imminent. But just as kind of like a historical, um, social, political event, the fall of Jerusalem really did force the church to figure out how to exist in the Roman world without that kind of home base in Jerusalem. And so uh, one of the the things that, and and overall the church grew in three ways, and I'm only going to deal with number one, but in three ways. It it recognized the canon of the scriptures of the New Testament. It looked to church leaders to be a source of authority and leadership, especially the bishops, and it um, began developing its own creeds. So human statements of faith and confessions that would demarcate the Christian faith in a pagan world. And so I just want to talk about the canon uh, today. Um, Canon is a word that means I'm measuring a line or a measuring stick. And so 
whenever you have a canon of everything, you know, there's canons, there's, there's this thing called the Western canon, which is the works of literature that are the very best that kind of show off how great English literature is and everything else is compared to these works, like works of Shakespeare or certain novels or whatever. It's part of the canon. So the canon of the scriptures of the New Testament are the works of the apostolic writings that measure the faith or judge other people's writings about Christianity. It's kind of the, the litmus test. It's the plumb line. It's, it's the thing that uh, God has given the church for us to evaluate our theology, our practice, and other people's theology and other practices. This is what God has said to us. This, these are the, your writings for, for your, um, your life following Jesus. And what happened is in that time span, that 250 years, a guy named Marcion arose who had a picture of what he thought God should be like. God of love. And when he looked through the scriptures, Old Testament and what would be collected as the New Testament, he didn't like a lot of what the scripture said. So he got rid of, I think, pretty much all the Old Testament, just, you know, God of wrath, goodbye. And much of the New Testament, he, um, I think, got rid of uh, many parts of the Gospels, just kept a portion of Luke. And he liked Paul with that emphasis on grace and love, but ejected other letters from the New Testament. And so, as he's doing this and teaching this, the church was kind of forced to answer the question, um, what do we believe are the scriptures? What What is collectively our scriptures as Christians of the New Testament? Now, it's not like a bunch of people just sat down and decided these are going to be our books. The scriptures of the New Testament were in wide and major usage throughout the churches, and there was tons of copying going on, tons of transmitting of these texts going on, so that there was lots and lots of access to these books, the Gospels and the, the letters, and they were in lots of usage. And so the issue wasn't so much, will somebody please show up and tell us what we need to read? The issue was kind of like, with this guy saying, I'm going to throw out tons and tons and tons of parts of the Bible. Um, which ones are we going to say, no, these are the scriptures that God has given us, and these are the measures of our faith. And by and large, there was tons of agreement within the church right off the bat. There were some questions about Revelation. There were some questions about Hebrews, because there's no ap- apostle who put his name on there. There's some questions about James. But really what the church just did is they said, who, um, which letters can we link to an apostle or to somebody who walked with the apostles? And that was kind of one of their main judgment tools, among other things. But that was kind of one of the main ones. Can we trace this back to apostolic authority? And so that was the, kind of the key thing, among other things, the key thing for determining the use of the scriptures. And there were other books or letters that were getting used that they decided these are helpful, but they're not the scriptures. The same way that we read books written by Christians that are full of truth and really helpful, but not the scriptures. But that was the main thing was this, this conflict over Marcion saying that the vision of God that I have is not represented in the scriptures. And so I'm going to get rid of the scriptures instead of changing the vision of God that I have. And it's, it's, Important for us to realize that this was one of the first battles that the church had to work through because this happens in our day as well, where people have ideas about God and visions about God that don't line up with the scripture and then find ways to make those parts of scripture disappear. So more recently, they're in the hyper grace movement. There's one teacher at least who his vision of God and vision of grace um, 
didn't work with the picture of Jesus we had in the Gospels, especially like Matthew and Luke, where there's teachings about, you know, you have to live like this, or these callings to live like this. And and so he just said, you know what, I'm going to find a theology just to make all these books go away. So anything that was written before the resurrection doesn't count anymore. And anything that's written after the resurrection, essentially Paul's writings, those are the ones that count. And so it's important for us to listen and just say, do the people who are teaching us, do they they recognize um, the canon? Do they recognize the New Testament scriptures that the church has been using since the beginning? And or are they finding Im- imaginative and ingenious ways to make scriptures go away? And there's lots of different ways that this happens where people try to make scriptures go away. There's kind of a more liberal bent that just says, you know, the scriptures were written a long time ago by patriarchal societies that didn't understand science like we do nowadays. And so we actually have to judge these scriptures and decide what parts are wrong and stuff like this. And really, that's the same idea that Marcion had. I don't like the vision of God that is presented in the scriptures. And so I'm going to cut out parts of the scriptures. I'm going to decide the scriptures don't belong. And that that will help me walk out my vision of God. But the problem is, is that God, how he really is, has given us the scriptures, given us the New Testament, given us these things, and has used the church to kind of recognize these writings, these apostolic writings that he inspired by the Holy Spirit. So whenever someone's trying to like get rid of books of the Bible, it's usually because there's something written down that doesn't match with what we want to feel or think about God. But the important thing is for us to change our concepts about God rather than get rid of his scriptures to suit our feelings or our desires for what we wish God would be like. And so next time when I get on here, I will talk about um, church leaders and I'll talk about the creeds. But uh, this was kind of the main fight of the early church once the apostles had passed away. And it was the early times that one of their main fights is that God gave them a, a heretic in order for them to really realize, no, he's given us scriptures. And these books are going to be uh, for us, the word of God to us and lead us in our faith from generation to generation to generation.